Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This morning in worship, Pastor Dana continues the series on purpose with a look at the purpose of the new covenant. Let's listen. This morning, we are continuing on with our sermon series on purpose. And throughout this sermon series, we'll be exploring the purpose of many different things. For instance, last week, David started this sermon series by talking about the purpose of life. And this week, we'll be going in a different direction and talking about the purpose of the new covenant. And that language, the new covenant, is not something that we hear very often. We hear that language used when we're taking communion, and we hear about the cup of the new covenant. But how many times outside of communion do we hear about the new covenant? And honestly, how many times during communion do we stop to think about what that new covenant is and what it's trying to say to us? I think for many of us, we view this language as the the new covenant as Old Testament language. It's language and wording that was used way back in ancient biblical days, and it doesn't translate the same in our present world. It doesn't harness harness much significance in our present context. It has lost its luster as it has become antiquated over the years. So this morning, I want us to go back to the Old Testament to look at the first time that God says he's going to form a new covenant. I want us to look at why God was forming a new covenant, what the purpose of that new covenant was, what is the significance of it. So turning to the book of Jeremiah, this is the first time that we hear God say that he's going to form a new covenant with the people of Israel. Turning to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. It says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. What is interesting about this passage is the fact that God is forming a new covenant in the first place. That God's making a new covenant that will replace the old one. The old covenant that God is referring to is the original covenant that was given to the Israelites on top of Mount Sinai. This is when Moses came face to face with God on that mountaintop and was given the Ten Commandments. But what has taken place? that God now deems it's necessary for a new covenant to be formed. Well, a lot had taken place. At the time that Jeremiah was declaring this prophetic speech about a new covenant being made, the Israelites were living in between exiles. So it's this in-between time when the Israelites had already been living in exile in Egypt. They had wandered in the desert for 40 years. They had returned to their homeland. And it's the time before the Israelites are conquered by the Babylonians and they're living in exile in Babylon. So the Israelites are in between these two exilic periods, these two historical events. 
What occurred during this time frame was pretty horrific. This time period was marked by many, many years of idolatrous living. It was marked by rebellion and just blatantly turning away from God. In fact, Jeremiah spent almost all of his prophetic career telling the Israelites that they needed to shape up, they needed to change their ways and alter their lifestyle, that they were going to head back to doom and gloom and living in exile if they didn't change. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, he expresses God's frustration over Israel's stubborn refusal to keep their part of the covenant, the covenant that God had made with them on Mount Sinai. In the early chapters of Jeremiah, he's this spokesperson for a very angry and frustrated God, a God who is tired of waiting for people to notice the error of their ways and to start changing those behaviors. Those behaviors included the Israelites rejecting God's grace, refusing to live as God's obedient children, not living by the laws that were inscribed on the two stone tablets, the Israelites' failure to love God and to show that love towards their neighbors, and the worship of other idols and pagan gods. At this point in time, the Israelites had sampled a whole buffet line of pagan gods, and when they did choose to worship the one true God, they were worshiping images of God. So they had ignored many of the Old Testament laws given to Moses. In response to all of this, Jeremiah repeatedly warns the Israelites that because of their behavior, they can expect another period of exile. He explains this disaster of exile as God's response to this rebellious community who had chosen to break their covenant with God over and over again. So that is what has occurred up to this point, up to the point when God deems that it is necessary to form a new covenant. Now there's a couple interesting parts to this new covenant. And the first interesting part is the fact that this new covenant will be inscribed on people's hearts. And the other key part is when God says, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. So we'll talk about these two aspects a little bit more in depth. But starting with the first one, one of the more interesting parts to this new covenant was the fact that God was going to write this new covenant on their hearts. That's one of the main distinctions between the old covenant and the new covenant. Jeremiah announces that God will write the new law, not on stone tablets, like he did with Moses and the Ten Commandments, but yet God is going to inscribe it on their hearts. In this chapter of Jeremiah, God is depicted as being pretty sick of knocking on people's hearts, waiting for them to let him in. God's tired of waiting for people to change their ways, to notice him, to seek after him, to want to be in a good relationship with him. So instead of giving them a list of do's and don'ts, another version of the Ten Commandments, God decides to write this law on the people's hearts. This term heart in Hebrew has a wider range of meaning than what we understand it to mean in English. In English, heart usually refers to the center of a person's emotions. Emotions such as love, 
hate, compassion, even grief. It can also have that meaning in Hebrew. However, in Hebrew, heart also carries with it the meaning of will or intention. So, for example, if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, that verse says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so we can translate that from its Hebrew meaning to mean to make an intentional decision, to pursue a lifestyle that is aligned with God's will for your life. Or we can understand it to mean to put our love for God into action to not just have a good, warm, loving feeling about God. So to write this new covenant on a person's heart, not a stone tablet or a piece of paper, means to inscribe the will of God into our very being, to create a presence within us that nudges God's people to want to do the right thing, to want to have a relationship with God, to want to be a good person, to want to serve the Lord in every way possible. Present day, we could liken this willful inscription on the heart as the gift of the Holy Spirit. In regards to uh, the New Testament, when this new covenant is being formed, the Spirit hadn't descended yet, except it's the same presence that's being described. So it's a very interesting and profound aspect to this new covenant. Out of all the great miracles that occurred in the Old Testament, this one ranks pretty high amongst them. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles of the Old Testament wasn't just the parting of the Red Sea or delivering Jonah from the belly of a whale. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles of them all is the fact that God softens stony human hearts, that God equips God's people to want to do the right thing, to want to seek after God, to want to be a good person and serve the Lord. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles is the fact that God's will, his very plan and purpose for our lives, will now live and dwell within the hearts of his people. The second part of this new covenant that is pretty interesting is when God says, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. Now, forgiveness is a constant theme throughout the Bible. But there's a whole other dimension of God's forgiveness that is present in this new covenant that's being made. Here, God's forgiveness goes beyond what we might expect. This part of the covenant is basically about God's willingness to work with humanity, even when they have been obstinate towards them. It is about forgiving even when God's people sinfully rejected him. Here in this passage, we see a portrayal of God that emerges in greater depth and detail than in any other part of the Old Testament. God is depicted as willing to forgive when there is no basis for forgiveness. Other than his love, other than his own desire to want to restore that broken relationship. The forgiveness that God extends in this passage is unconditional. It's not based upon anything that the people do. There is no repentance that is required for their blatant rebellion and idolatrous living. 
There isn't a sacrifice that they have to make in the form of a ram or a burnt offering. There isn't even a prayer that they have to utter. God doesn't place one single condition on the forgiveness that he was offering them. It is simply stated unequivocally and unconditionally. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. So with this new covenant, God was willing to give the people a second chance. A second chance after their abysmal behavior, their betrayal of the first covenant. In spite of all of that, God will forgive them and not even remember their sins of old. This new covenant was about redemption. It was about restoring broken and tarnished relationships due to sin. It was a covenant of unconditional love and grace. With this new covenant, we see strong images of an all-loving, all-forgiving God. Strong images of a grace-filled God. One Bible commentator summarizes this passage about the new covenant this way. He says, this part of Jeremiah describes the nature of God as a God who is willing to go to great lengths to restore that relationship. God's forgiveness is simply from the perspective of starting over again. There is no punishment that will suffice, no penance that would be appropriate, no effort that could achieve what God has freely offered to these people. This forgiveness comes simply because God chooses to offer it with no prerequisites and no preconditions. God's choice for these sinners is nothing short of him simply saying, I will forgive. And that forgiveness creates newness in the lives of people, even to the point of a transformation of their heart. That is the kind of newness that God brings. And that was the point of the new covenant in the Old Testament days. This morning we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper, and during communion we'll hear that language again, the cup of the new covenant. Now we know that during communion, when we talk about the cup of the new covenant, that pertains to Christ's sacrifice for each of us. Christ dying for our sins and the grace and forgiveness that is present at this table because of what Christ did. It is our covenant of redemption with God. Our covenant that mends our broken and tarnished relationship with God. It's a covenant of unconditional love that's available for all of us. Today, as we explore the purpose of this new covenant, how it pertains to us present day, we are reminded of the type of forgiveness that God possesses for all of his people. From the beginning of time, God has always actively pursued his people, wanting to be in a loving relationship with all of us. From the beginning of time, God has always sought to forgive his people, to shower us with mercy and grace and compassion. Such knowledge should compel us to extend that same forgiveness to other people, to extend that same mercy and compassion to our neighbors. Such knowledge should also compel us to show ourselves that same forgiveness to love ourselves with the same kind of mercy and grace that God possesses for us. 
In terms of grace and forgiveness, sometimes the hardest part of forgiving is forgiving ourselves. Sometimes it is so much easier to show a complete stranger compassion and mercy than it is to show ourselves compassion and mercy. As human beings, we are good at chastising ourselves. We are so good at beating ourselves up over the things that we have done or the things that we didn't do. We are good at holding on to guilt and shame. As human beings, we have a hard time forgiving and then letting go and forgetting. And I'll share a, a quick example of that with you. I remember when I was a little girl, I used to go to church with my grandmother. And I remember walking into church, and she would have her Bible under her arm and one of those zippy pouches, and she would have her little notepad in there. And she would always pull her notepad out and would take notes when the pastor was talking and preaching. And so one Sunday in particular, it was Communion Sunday. And so the elders came around, and they're passing out the trays of bread and juice. And so the tray comes to us, and I take my bread and my juice, and I pass the tray down to my grandmother. Except my grandmother didn't take the elements for herself. She just continued to pass the tray down to the next individual. And I thought, well, that is just very odd that my grandmother's not going to take communion this morning. And so we're in the middle of church, so I can't ask her then, you know, why is she choosing not to do that? And so on the car ride home, I turned to her and I said, Grandmother, I noticed that you didn't take communion this morning. Why is that? Why didn't you want to participate in that? And she said, oh, Dana, there are many mistakes that I have made in my life, some bigger than others. And she said, if I can't forgive myself, how could God possibly forgive me? And it just about broke my heart to hear her say that. It broke my heart because, well, one, she was the, the sweetest, kindest lady who did no wrong other than maybe burning a chocolate chip cookie here and there. But she was just a very sweet lady. I never once saw her raise her voice or lose her temper or speak negatively about anyone. But furthermore, it broke my heart because I realized that she was walking around with guilt and shame that she wasn't receiving God's grace and forgiveness. It broke my heart because she was failing to recognize what Christ's sacrifice means for all of us, what the, the cup of the new covenant signifies for us. Here in Jeremiah, we are reminded of the importance of forgiving and forgetting, forgiving and letting go of the offense. Forgiving yourself is simply letting go of what you're holding against yourself so that you can move on with God. There is no mistake that we could possibly make that God would not forgive. And we should have that same type of forgiveness for ourselves. This part of Jeremiah reminds us that no matter what we have done, no matter what we have said, no matter what we have thought, we are forgiven. God possesses an unequivocal and unconditional type of forgiveness for each of us. There is no punishment necessary, no penance due, no sacrifice that has to be made. God's grace and forgiveness is freely given to all of us. That was the purpose of the new covenant in Old Testament days. 
That is the purpose of the cup of the new covenant in our present context. The new covenant informs us that God's grace is sufficient. May such knowledge seep deep down into our inner being. May we all inscribe this new covenant on our hearts. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.